you know, in the earliest days living in the UK, I remember reading uh, newspaper headlines about crew member, you know, detained by police pre-flight following a breath test. And I remember reading those things 30 years ago and thinking, well, silly him, that wouldn't happen to me. And generally being quite unconcerned about it. But the fact was, you know, I'd still read the same sort of headlines periodically. And by the mid 2000s, they would have a different effect on me. I would read those headlines and go, wow, that could be me. That could be me one day. Um, addiction is, is giving up everything for one thing. And recovery is giving up one thing for everything. Because um, frequently the, the end point of addiction is people lose a lot. They lose lives and careers and and, and marriages and relationships and everything. It, 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 it is just total annihilation for this one thing. You're listening to Flying Straight, an aviator's guide to navigating through a life of sobriety. People in the flying industry and other walks of life will share their experiences of living a life free of alcohol and other drugs. You will also hear from experts in the world of addiction and self-improvement. Join Andrew O'Mealy, airline pilot and non-practicing alcoholic, as he takes you on a journey, discovering how a sober life can lead to a deeper level of happiness. Well, welcome to this third episode of Flying Straight, Piloting a Sober Life. My name is Andrew O'Mealy, airline pilot, alcoholic and your host. I'm talking to you from the Sunshine Coast in southeast Queensland, Australia. It's beautiful here at the moment, balmy days and rain in the afternoons. It's a great combo of fantastic beach weather and the rain keeping that bushland alive. Anyway, today's conversation is with a super interesting guy, Captain Roger Healy. Roger's career path is an enviable one. Soon after school, he joined the Royal Australian Air Force, flying a diverse range of aircraft, including P-3 Orions, which is a four-engine anti-submarine aircraft, as well as rotary wings. He left the military after 16 years and started flying for a large airline, being based in Hong Kong, as well as in the United Kingdom. He currently operates out of Asia, flying freight in a heavy jet. Uh, How good is that? Roger shares with us his story of the impact alcohol had on his life. It was a slow transition from social drinker fitting in with the other crew members to that realisation that something just wasn't quite right and was getting worse. He shares insights on the life as an international airline pilot, an expatriate, a father and a recovering alcoholic. And he tells us how sobriety has given him everything alcohol had promised. Oh, well, yeah, thanks for doing this, mate. This is excellent. Oh, uh, mate, this is, um, yeah, pleasure. Yeah, so you're down in uh, the Central Coast at the moment, is that right? Uh, I'm Castle? in Newcastle, yeah. So Newcastle, so just, um, just south of Newcastle, I'm in um, Charlestown. Charlestown, okay. And just to clarify that, that's... Uh, that's Newcastle, Australia. <laughs> there you go, Newcastle, Australia. Yeah, it certainly is. And that, that's a pretty rare event for you, isn't it? That being back in Australia, being home hasn't happened for um, for nearly twelve months. Um, you know, about eleven months, I think, when I was last back. Just uh, you know, the, the way the COVID thing's been uh, been rolling, and the and the various you know quarantine restrictions, both um, you know, both in Asia and back here. Yeah, it must be good to be home. 
It is, it is. They're, they're, they're um, you know, my, my need to, uh, although I was generally commuted for the last 10 or more years, the, my need to keep coming back is a bit different from some other folks. Um, you know, my kids are now pretty much grown up. They're 20, 24 and 28. So, um, you know, they're, they're, they're to a greater extent self-sufficient and um, they're also geographically dispersed. So if I come back to Newcastle, they're not all here. So, so did your kids spend any time in Hong Kong? Were you, you weren't always up there on your own. No, so I, um, I, I was married, and however, um, we, we, we split back in 2002. The time that happened, we were all living in the UK. I was UK based for a while. Um, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, you spent a, a lot of time in Asia as an expat. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm a been with the company for 23 years and so uh, for, for the period that I was based which was the first I don't know 13 years or so um, you know my visits there were uh, a couple of times a month and you'd, you'd just been a you know a hotel there when you were there you know there for a couple of days and then um, and then flying out again back back and forth usually through the Middle East back to all ports in Europe since I've been based there though um, you know I've got my own little own little apartment I rent up there and we jet about all over the place you know some regional some long haul bit of yeah, a mix right. yeah. yeah so so you you're flying the 74 freighter at the moment the mighty freighter yeah the mighty 74 yeah the big yeah that'd be, that'd be a pretty cool job at the moment and particularly with uh, you know all the freight booming and so on yeah no it's uh, it, it's uh, look it's the it's the part of the industry I think with the um the brightest prospects at the moment which is good Oh, great. Yeah. So that uh, I remember you saying once that this uh, flying rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong is not oh, such yeah, a bad gig after all. No, that's right. It's that that famous line out of out of that movie, isn't it? But um, uh, Top Gun, yeah. yeah, yeah, Top Gun. Yeah, and it was you know seen as a threat to those yeah. uh, guys flying yeah, the pointy jets. <laughs> you mentioned the would you say the pointy? Oh, something jets? about flying those pointy pointy jets. Yeah, the the the, the Top Gun guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What, what were you flying? Uh, well, I wasn't. No, I was. I was in the Air Force for sixteen years, but um, most of it was, um, you know, multi-engine on the P three, doing maritime patrol stuff, and a bit of rotary wing for years on helicopters. That was, that was all good fun, but a bit of a bit of a young man's game, really. But all good fun. Yeah. Oh, how long were you in there for? Oh, 16 years. Yep. Sixteen oh, wow. years. So, um, yeah. okay. eighty-two to ninety-eight. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I've got to ask with the the Air Force. So it was the Royal Australian Air Force. Indeed, so, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How was? How would you say the the drinking culture was there? Uh, look, it's a long time ago now because um, you know we're talking uh, whatever you know nearly forty years ago that I joined, and you know I think the culture the culture in society generally was was very different back then, and the Air Force you know was was not. It was not particularly different. It was different. That, that's for sure. There was, um, you know, things were just more, more permissive. There was a, um, you know, there was that sort of work hard, play hard sort of culture. There was always, um, you know, the, the, the idea of flight safety coming first and, and not, not mixing the drinking and the flying was always, you know, very heavily promoted. But I think there were, um, you know, there are a lot of times where people would, would, um, you know, as an example, I think you know Friday afternoons um, it'd be off to the mess for a, a bit of you know socialisation after after a working week, and yeah, some people would 
just go for a couple of drinks and head off home and other people would stay for uh, a bit longer. I was probably one of the ones that stayed a bit longer and you know, I was the one who came home late for dinner on a Friday night, <laughs> yeah. was not very popular and, you know, there, there are a lot of those sort of things. And, and the, as I say, these are things that happened, you know, 40 odd years ago. Yeah, right. So, so did you go straight from the RAAF into an airline? I did, I did. So straight from um, straight from school to the air force, and straight from the air force to um, to an airline. So I've basically had two jobs, been to two interviews, and um, <laughs> give or yeah. take, you know. Yeah, and then you got the, the that airline gig and on your way. So yeah, right. so, and that was so yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yep. No, I was just going to say, and that was a a different lifestyle. I think that that lifestyle is a, a lifestyle of um, constant adjustments and constant change and you're either transitioning back into being with the family or getting ready to transition away from being with the family and going on another trip you just got that couple of days in the middle which are you know somewhere like normal and you're off again yeah yeah it's it's, it's um you know it has its it makes its demands on all the family and, yeah i was gonna uh, yeah. say it's hard it's hard for everyone isn't it not it not is yeah. Yourself, yeah 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 you know what what that lifestyle does afford is um you're away, away from home. You're away from responsibilities of, of, of family life. Your only responsibility is to um, get up every couple of days and front up in a you know, reasonable state to fly an aeroplane. And you can have a couple of days here and a couple of days there and plenty of time to go out, out on the town in a new destination. And um, as I say, without, without the constraints, you know, it's very easy to uh, fall into the habit of, uh, of binging, I think you'd call it. Did, did you feel like you were the, the pretty much the same as everyone else? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, that was certainly the case at school. There, there were. That's the way it seemed to me. That's the way everybody drank at school and at university, and um, you know, early years in the air force or whatever. Probably the circle of people that I knew that drank like I wanted to gradually shrank over the years. But if I could find another one or two that wanted to, um, you know, go out for a bit of a night in the town, then then that was normal. That was that was okay. It didn't matter if most other people weren't doing that, but if there was one or two of us then like that was that was right, my yeah, normal you were just always you were searching for those uh, handful of normal people <laughs> <out> <laughs> handful of normal people that's right to, you know to reassure yeah, myself yeah. i think you know despite the fact that the daily intake as recommended by the um you know medical authorities whatever was pitifully small um if there are other people drinking like i did then that was that was normal and that was okay and that was uh, that would justify it and that would um you know, and I didn't need, didn't need to explain myself to anybody else. Yeah, 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 Because yeah, yeah. the, I mean, they, as you say, when we're drinking, we look at those, you know, what the the medical advice is, and we think, oh, you pussies, yeah, exactly, you know, yeah, yeah. Who, who does that? Who does but, that? Uh, so and, we, and that's the we thing. yeah. I didn't know yeah. anybody who drank like that. I didn't know people who didn't drink. I didn't think there were people who didn't drink. I couldn't imagine it was it was beyond my experience. You know, they, they, I just didn't know them. I didn't think they existed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you, so you're you're up in a like an expat lifestyle, and you know that that's I generally find an expat lifestyle's pretty full on. I was in New Guinea, and it seemed to be a lot of drinking going on. The people bonded through alcohol, unless you were a unless you were a missionary. So <laughs> I guess you were part of that expat alcohol bonding scene absolutely yeah no it's um it, it is it's a part of bonding it's it's, a, it's all that shared experience it um you know there, there are a lot of reasons why people do that they, they feel I, I guess when you're 
when you're an expat in another country, you're um, you're, you're maybe accepted rather than welcomed among the uh, among the locals. You know, you, you feel you're a little bit on the outside. You know, there's a bit of a um, you know there, there's a common common bond between all the expats with the the vagaries, the difficulties of living in these different different countries, whatever they might be. Yeah, and and there's there's a lot of socialising. A lot of socialising goes on with those you know similar sorts of people. And most socialising involves getting together and having a drink. Again, I found myself amongst um, people of a like mind. What, what I will say, one thing that's a little bit different, though, is in um, certainly being an expat in some of the uh, heavily populated Asian countries, they're, um, they're frequently served by extraordinarily good public transport systems and very few people drive. So um, as a result of which you can... Uh, you get get most places with a uh, a cab or a, a bus or a train. Lots of people in lots of these places don't even own a car. So there you are. You're in you're in Asia, and uh, you don't have you don't even need a car or, or a taxi. You just hop on really, or you could catch a taxi. But you you know the train system's fantastic and so on. And then yeah, you, know, you don't have that accountability if uh, your family's not there a lot of the time. And yeah, so then. You are in that expat environment, and then you go traveling to these fantastic places in the world. So there's plenty of opportunities to drink when you're away. And in fact, I remember you once saying that you, if you didn't have an excuse on hand, you'd synthesize one. Uh, what what were some of those excuses uh, to have a drink? Oh, excuses to have a drink. I've got. I don't know. Um, you, you honestly didn't need one. You know, it, it's it's Wednesday. It's Tuesday. It's uh, it, whatever it is. There, there was never really a reason. It was, um, you know, when you're down route, you'd, you'd you'd land, you'd go to the hotel, you'd check in, you'd get your room key, and and somebody, uh, sometimes it was me, but somebody would say, um, downstairs in fifteen minutes, then or or ten, or you know, and somebody'd say, oh, what's wrong with five? <laughs> you know, yeah, why are we yeah, waiting yeah. so long? And it was a bit of a joke. It was a bit of banter, but it was just. Absolutely, um, absolutely common. You know, that was the, the first thing you did. No, nobody was going to the gym. Nobody was going for a run. Nobody was going to the pool. As long as the bar was open, that's that's where you go. Yeah, you're just going for a couple, and then we'll have dinner, right? Except it didn't always work that way. You know, you run into another yeah. crew, and there's this shout going of four or five guys, and everyone's drinking pints because they're all Brits. And um, you know, before you know it, never mind about dinner. Again, excuses. I, I don't really remember. Um... I remember you saying something like, uh, "You know, the time zone change." Oh well, yeah. Okay. Well, so yeah, there. Are, you know, yes. Those. Those. I get what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Those um, excuses or rationalizations. You know, it's always five o'clock in the afternoon somewhere. You know, there, there's. Um, yeah, you could you could always make it seem normal. Uh, you know, you, you arrive at Hong Kong at you know five in the morning or whatever and like everything is closed but you know those of us in the know um would know that you could just nip out the front door and go down the, around the corner a bit and there was a, a petrol station that had a few beers in the fridge and you could always grab them at any hour of the day or night yeah right so um and that was justifiable because i've been working all night and this is my knockoff so this is the end of my day so and i deserve it because i've been working hard you know i, I deserve my and 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 it'll it'll help me sleep, and you know I'll be much better rested for my next duty. I mean, which is just nonsense. <laughs> I yeah, mean, yeah. 
uh, you know the quality of sleep was never was never objectively assessed but it was almost certainly of a inferior quality <laughs> oh it is yeah I'm, i've heard i've heard studies about you know you, you don't go through that rem cycle or those cycles yeah you normally go we go eight and you go through like one when you drink and that's why you sleep really heavily but you wake up feeling terrible because you haven't gone through this natural sleep cycle yeah yeah exactly so, and if you do that if you do that for a couple of days in you know eastbound in in the middle east and then uh, do that in hong kong and then you do it the same in the middle east on the way back you get back to the uk after eight or ten days you are just destroyed um partly because of a, a bit of off back of the body caught flying but you know mainly because you used your uh, your rest time so unwisely in the meantime so you, you come back home you you're tired you're grumpy you're not you know happy and um you know again so additional pressure on the um, on the family yeah so you 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 probably did some things that weren't exactly proud of while you're away and uh so did you did you wake up at times and think that's it um i'm i've had enough i'm never going to drink again yeah I, I don't know that i got to that stage back uh back then that, that that stage certainly came a bit later though where i yeah so it does eventually come where um yeah when, know, you, when did that come so I, i'm thinking that's that's probably much later um you know probably the the last year or two before i uh before i quit so you know 2009 2008 and Part of the, you know, I think one of the things that, that brought that on, you know, in the earliest days living in the UK, I remember reading uh, newspaper headlines about crew member, you know, detained by police pre-flight following a breath test at, you know, Manchester or wherever, uh, Glasgow. And they're frequently North American crews who'd been there on an overnight, they're, they're off their time zone, whatever, and they've got an early morning start and they're still a little bit worse for weather from the night before. And I remember reading those things 30 years ago and thinking, well, silly him, that wouldn't happen to me. And generally being quite unconcerned about it. But the fact was, you know, I'd still read the same sort of headlines periodically. And by the mid 2000s, they would have a different effect on me. I would read those headlines and go, wow, that could be me. That could be me one day. It just had it. So something had changed, you know, whether my, I didn't recognize that my behavior had changed and my attitudes to, to alcohol or, or my respect for the the separation between my drinking and my flying had, had changed. And yet the same newspaper headline would have a different effect on me. So I, I think I became, there was an awareness that, you know, I was getting away with it in, in later years that I was, you know, I just hadn't been found out yet, but I, I was, yeah. And then you, 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 you realize you, you're potentially on borrowed time and you realize what the potential ramifications are. And so around that time, I guess I was thinking that, yeah, I probably should wind it back a bit. And then there's that period of sort of denial where I should wind it back a bit, but, you know, I can do that anytime. I can, I can, I'm still fully in charge. I can do that tomorrow. I'm not going to do it tonight because I'm just going to have one tonight, but, you know, I, I can start that tomorrow. Yeah. You know, so there's always that, that, uh, that idea that you've, you've still got control um, and you're simply choosing not to change your behaviour just yet even though there's a, an inkling that maybe you should and you know things sort of progress on from there look in, in 2009 i had some time off work for some um really a succession of relatively minor medical things and i sort of probably strung them out to do them sequentially rather than in parallel because that that sort of suited my um 
unwillingness to go back to work. Um, but the problem was without the uh, discipline of having to turn up for work, you know, every few days, without that constraint, now we, we talked about the constraints before, but, you know, with, with that further, that, that final constraint removed, you know, the drinking was essentially without limit and without, right. yeah, it was just uh, drink until you, uh, until you passed out and or until you ran out of, um, of booze. You usually took tampine care to make sure that you didn't run out. So, um, you know, that was that was almost a daily occurrence and that was you know that was not great because there, there was a period then where you, you'd wake up and you say right I'm not going to do that tonight definitely not and then come you know four or five in the afternoon you say well I'll just have one and one doesn't hurt uh, and then you know you know one didn't hurt so I'll have two and and then you know you're off to the races again which is the um, you know the most common if you like distinguishing feature about people with a um, substance use disorder it's uh, just that absence of control uh, and that fact that you know once yeah, you've had that yeah. first one that um you know all reason all um all you know willpower if you like everything else out the window just becomes yeah. the most important thing and and you, the, the other thing is you, you you spend your day well you spend your morning hungover from the night before you spend a portion of your afternoon wondering whether it's okay to start drinking now or whether you've got to wait a little bit longer to be respectable <laughs> and uh, and then and the other bits and the other bits drinking and it's just that that's that's the entire 24-hour cycle and it's if you're not going to work and doing other responsible things and you're no longer married and families on the other side of the world and all the rest of it it's just a it's just a nightmare and it's a recurring nightmare it's a daily you know it's a groundhog day type existence yeah yeah right and, and and that's where I found myself. And you know, during the period that I was off work with the uh, various medical things, they sold the old airplanes that I was flying, the the classic seven fours. And when I come back, the first thing I was going to have to do was a conversion onto the four hundred. And um, as the time for that, you know, came closer and closer, I think I was saying, right, well, I've really got to, I've really got to not drink tomorrow and start getting my head in the books and um, getting ready for this conversion course. And um, you know, even with that intention, that sincere intention, that absolute, absolute <laughs> commitment to doing that, it would not happen day after day after day. And, um, you know, eventually I very much realised and acknowledged and, you know, accepted, I guess, that I was no longer in control of this situation. I was just, I was just going along for the ride. You know, that's about when I stuck up my hand and um, you know, requested some help from work. And, you know, they were only too happy to, to help. And um, I think I, I needed that. I wasn't going to fix it all on my own. Um, that, that didn't look like happening. So I think that's the differentiating feature for me is when, uh, if you've been in that state of denial for a while, and then there's an acknowledgement that, yeah, there is a problem and I should do something about it and I intend to do something about it. And you decide that you are going to do something about it. And you just find yourself unable. Yeah, that that's probably the point where uh, it's, it's beyond. It is beyond your control, and you need some help. Yeah. Yeah. So, when when you you stuck your hand up, can you tell us the, you know, what what were you thinking? You you'd obviously got right to the end of the road there, and yeah. The, what what why was that day different to the day before? Yeah. Good good reason. I I think I I I I'd used every. I had this pack of cards and I'd used all the jokers. There was nothing left. I couldn't, couldn't string it out any longer. And, you know, I was, I was out of excuses to, um, 
to not be coming back to work. And it was the, um, you know, it was the global financial crisis. And I basically exhausted all my sick leave and, you know, really um, just about running on, uh, you know, running on my accumulated savings. And, it, you know, it was, it was a mess and it, it couldn't go on any longer. So I had to get back to work, but there was a realisation that I, I couldn't go back in that, in that current state. It, it just wouldn't work. So I, I was essentially just out of, out of options really and, and it was fear really you know it it was fear of being found out fear of being caught fear of being fear of events becoming beyond my control um like i was going to get found out on a on a random test and you know the consequences would be different the only way i could retain some sort of control of the situation and you know navigate its course was to you know stick my hand up and you know request some help so you know that 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 that's because of the way the policies were in the company at the time. That that seemed like the the best option for me, and and it really was. Yeah. Did, did you feel safe as far as the, you, you knew the company would support you, or you weren't I, quite I thought sure? That, Had you heard nah, of other people that? I, I thought they would. I didn't know of anybody else who'd uh, who'd done it. Although there were people who had. Yeah, I, I didn't necessarily know who these other people were. We've got a much better network of things these days, and there are things like you know you're wonderful podcast andrew um where, where we're helping to uh, <laughs> helping to, to spread the word and just let people know you know they're, they're not alone so at the time i felt quite alone i did feel unsure i didn't really didn't know what it would entail i i was a bit wary because i thought it might have had something to do with never drinking again i wasn't really interested in doing that i thought it might have something to do with one of these rehab places and i figured if you went to one of these rehab places they teach you to drink like a gentleman and you could just be, be like, be like a normal person after that. And I thought that sounded good. Did they say to you, well, to in order to get back flying again, you should be going into an inpatient rehab, or what? What? How did that all eventuate? Yeah. So that that was it was it's a relatively brief phone call. I spoke to one of the company doctors and said, who, who was the guy who had been running with most of my case and listening patiently to all my various excuses over the previous, you know, six months or so. Yeah. Um, and I spoke to him and I said, oh, look, I think what really might be the, uh, the core of the problem here is um, my abuse of alcohol. And he said, he said, great. We, we know what to do about that. You know, it will involve you uh, 100% abstinence from here on and it will involve, um, you know, inpatient treatment. Yeah. I'll, I'll call you back. And uh, they called back a couple of hours later and said, right, you're, so I was in Newcastle. I was back in Australia at the time. I was in Newcastle and they said, uh, report to a facility down in Sydney, 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. Well, you can give them a quick call this afternoon and basically they did an assessment over the phone and um, they were they were quite quite satisfied that I was just the person they're looking yeah, for. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, it wasn't a wasn't a particular thorough assessment, but there was there was there was essentially no more denial. It was it was just quite an honest yeah, um, accepting it. Yeah. Help me! I'm out of control. I, I don't know what's going on here, and I, I need help. And you know, they were, as I say, very very happy to see me. Yeah, and that's uh, you know, it's 28 days there, which is you know, a very different experience. You, you know, a bit isolating at first. You're you're you don't have all the freedoms. In fact, I remember you know going down there to check in. You bring your little bag of clothes for a couple of weeks, and your toothbrush and and whatever, and uh, you walk in, and they they tell you to put the bag down on the bed and they go through your bag. They, they search it very thoroughly looking for any contraband. 
you know, anybody trying to bring drugs or booze into the place, uh, you weren't allowed to have your mobile phone um, while you were there. There was a, a pay phone or something I think you'd use. So to me, uh, that first day felt like it felt like what I imagined going to prison would be like. Yeah, right. So that would have been really scary, eh? Yeah, I did not think this is the beginning. I thought this is the end. Um, yeah. And that's all I could see. It was just the, the door closing behind me, you know, the physical door um, entering this place. But that, that was, you know, the door on my past life. It, it was... But I, I had no idea what uh, you know what lay ahead. Not for the twenty-eight days, and, and certainly not for the ten years that followed. Uh, I, I had no idea. Very a lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear and anxiety, and I, I, I wasn't immediately filled with the uh, the feeling that I had made the right decision. <laughs> that, that, that came came a little bit later. Yeah. Did you feel that that's that you belonged there or did you look around and look at the like in day one anyway or day the first couple yeah. of days and think hey um you know, i'm not like these other people in here or did you think man i'm in the right place no absolutely and some of these feelings were, were not just for the 28 days i was there but probably for the first uh, year or so in, in in recovery i would look at everybody else and I would go, oh, well, I'm, I'm not as bad as him or her or I'm a little bit worse than him or her in, in, in some regard with regard to some aspect of my life or my drinking or, or whatever. Yeah, I, I saw a lot of the differences between my situation and, and those of others. Whereas one of the first things you're told in recovery when you're going along to uh, you know 12-step meetings and things is, is look for the similarities, not the differences. Uh, and yet... I, I was I was often met with the differences. Um, they, they were they were the more apparent ones to me. And while I could see the similarities, I, I think I still, for a long time and, and quite unproductively, placed myself in a different sort of category from from others. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. As I say, that was not. Yeah, it wasn't something intentional. It wasn't something I sought to do. It's just the way you know my mind was working and my assessment of where. Where things were and where everybody else was, yeah. but those sort of feelings are not particularly uh, not particularly helpful. No, but I think they're also um, particularly common too. A lot oh, of people go absolutely. in and they and I'm not like this, that, or this person, and so on. And I think that's yeah, that's maybe more the the norm. I think it's very much the norm. I mean, I I I did find some. So, I mean, there, there were people there. There, there were. There were housewives there at, at the rehab. There were, you know, minor league, rugby league people. There were people referred there by, by the drug court or whatever um, who were, you know, mandated to be there rather than, you know, willing participants. There were, um, but there were a couple of doctors and they were, they were smart people. They were, they were um, interesting to talk to, but they were in just as profound a uh, pickle as I was. And um, they're probably, you know, to, to some extent, similarly in in denial or, or you know recategorize them categorize themselves as different. So we 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 hit things off a bit there back in Newcastle. I met some people who were um, very uh, you know had a very simple, very black and white view of things. It was just sit down, shut up, listen, do this, don't do that. Yeah. Call me every morning. Um, <laughs> well. Yeah, if you if you keep keep it down to the fundamentals, it's yeah, just boil it down to the fundamentals. And these people, and 
I think there's a temptation for for a lot of us to, you know, uh, overthink and uh, to complicate what's a pretty simple, you know, recipe for recovery. I, I agree. So, how long did it take you from the from the time you got out of the twenty eight day program until you were back in the in the flight deck again? Subject to uh, your you know engagement with the program and you know satisfactory uh, series of you know no notice uh, testing and progress with the various uh, suggested you know steps for recovery you can be back on- online in um, probably a minimum of about four months really no, so wow, it's like, okay. you know, three or four months yeah. for after um, uh, after discharge from the inpatient treatment facility it's possible if you apply yourself to, um, as I say, doing the doing the recommended things and just engage with the with the program. Right. So part of that was support groups. You you mentioned AA, so you you got stuck into AA and yeah, you got stuck into it a little bit slowly, and uh, but um, you know got stuck into it eventually. Yeah. Yep. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> and now uh, and now you're you're also uh, using. Or I should say, you're zoom in, or you, or before COVID, you were going to bird, physically going to Birds of a Feather uh, support yeah. group, or did that did that come a fair way after the the AA? Or yeah, so there wasn't a Birds group in Hong Kong when we uh, when I started. Um, we probably set that up two or three years later, something like that. There was a great one up in uh, Anchorage in Alaska, and um, you know the freighter operation hubs through Anchorage all the time. So I've met a Met a bunch of really good guys up there on a Wednesday afternoon, and um, uh, and, and you know they were they, they were guys from US based freight carriers as well, and they'd be they'd be down in Hong Kong on occasions. We'd catch up and see each other at meetings, and, and they knew people. And I, I think that's the beauty of it. You uh, you get to a point where there's that uh, there's that shared experience, one thing, but that, that that sense of fraternity and and just knowing people and, and networking and do you know Andrew? Yeah, I know Andrew. He's a great guy, you know, and, and all that sort of stuff. And you just feel, you feel you're a part of something. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm glad. I think... I'm glad they say that about me when you <laughs> 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 when you meet them. That's, that's, really that's an example, <laughs> not necessarily. A, uh, yeah. I know. I know. Yeah, I'm just mucking around, but yeah. No, I know no, what I, you're saying. It's... So I think that you know, initially you can feel like you're you're very much separate. From the rest of the pilot community because you're a little bit different you're the guy who doesn't drink when they go out now but you also become a part of something else that you weren't a part of before and so this part of this um you know this special group of people who've, who've walked the same path and um share their experiences and tell you that what you're feeling is is normal and um you know there's actually nothing wrong with you and and all those sorts of you know help to dispel all those doubts and fears and 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 we we have a laugh and we um you know we reminisce about the nonsense way we used to carry on and um you know we don't you know glorify it or whatever but we just you know remind ourselves that um probably wasn't real helpful then it really wouldn't be very helpful now you know just uh, talk about the things that we enjoy doing now and why we like you know you, you develop a love for the for the new for the new way of life that's the uh I think that's the turning point is when you actually enjoy doing what you're doing. That's that's the thing that keeps you there, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, no, it is. That's from from sort of begrudgingly to thinking, wow, now this is yeah. what I've, I've been looking for. And, and you're saying, you know, we, we get together and have a laugh and so on. And I 
can't let this podcast go without just mentioning that the first time I met you, Rog, was when I heard you speak at a Australian Hymns uh, convention a couple of years ago, and I like the way that you introduced yourself. Okay, uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, I do. So you know, when you're at uh, when you're at an AA meeting, it's very much a first name basis. It's Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, we we don't necessarily reveal our whole identity to people, but we're you know very friendly on a first name basis. So invariably, uh, you, you commence your um, period of sharing your little story with, "Hi, my name's Roger." And I'm an alcoholic. So, of course, that's where I kicked off speaking to the uh, assembled multitude at the, uh, at the HAG conference, um, most non-alcoholics. And uh, I just said that, yeah, hi, I'm Roger, I'm an alcoholic. And I said, you know, it's my nightmare scenario of getting on the PA on the aeroplane one day and saying that to all the passengers. Um, <laughs> got to remember to keep those two, separate. two uh, circumstances quite separate. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, no, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Love that. Um, yeah, so that, but, that um, yeah, so that was at the Hymns uh, Hymns conference a couple of years ago, and so you've been involved in the Australian Hymns side of things in various capacities. And one of the things that you are a part of is the video on a, on the Australian Hymns website, and that's fantastic. <laughs> You're a bit of a movie star, by the way, but uh, <laughs> you know you you do mention something in that video i don't know if you remember I, I had a look at it the other day you talk about sobriety in your life from a really nice perspective and you say i'm quoting you here it's a lifelong journey a beautiful journey and i wouldn't swap it for the world uh, I, I just think that's that is a really good way of of approaching the the whole philosophy of sobriety what, what do you think yeah, no, look, I, um, I, I'd completely forgotten that I might have said that, but it, it's something I absolutely stand by. It, I think it's something that I, I now feel I, perhaps I, um, cert yeah, certainly wouldn't swap it for the world. That's, uh, that's definitely true. I think I wish, sometimes wish I might have started on this journey a, a few years earlier. Could have saved me a whole lot of pain and heartache and, uh, you know, if you like, regrets. Yeah, look, wouldn't swap it for the world. Some of the things that you, you learn in recovery, because you're, um, you know, it, it's not just about drinking or not drinking. Yeah, you know, a lot of us have a lot of, you know, repair work to do in the uh, psychological or emotional area. A lot of us need to learn a few life skills for coping with, with things, and um, a lot of it, you know, revolves around a lot of the things we're hearing more and more today in society about you know, strategies for mental health, whether it's uh, mindfulness or, or, or whatever, um, a lot of that sort of stuff comes up and it's all all just good common sense. Yeah, there, there's, there, there are so many, you know, benefits for, to the program, I think. Chief among them for me, I think, is just peace of mind. I think that's the, the, the most profound thing or the thing that's with me the most is uh, back in the drinking days, you were always thinking about what you'd done the night before, what you'd said, how you'd acted, who you'd upset, what you'd what you've done wrong, whether anyone saw you, whether anyone, you know, whether it's going to come back to bite you or, or yeah, whatever. And yeah. um, if you're not just drinking this out of control fashion night after night, you're not behaving in that way. You're not, you're not doing those things and you don't need to worry about the next morning. Yeah. And, um, and people look at you differently because you're not just that dickhead who gets a bit out of control when he's had a few you know you're just um you can become a 
you know the sort of person you can be proud of you can be you can be a supportive part of your family you can be there for your for your kids and you can be relied upon yeah for sure mate emotionally present you know a, a million one things yeah yeah, yeah. And, and i'm sure you're it's a reciprocal thing your family would be really proud of you that you've you're living the life you are now because it's not easy well i hope so i mean we yeah we don't, yeah we don't talk about it you know that, that that much but no the, i mean the 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 relationships with the uh, with the kids were 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 good a long time ago. They were not so good for a period, and they're a lot better now. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you zoom into the birds meetings in Australia regularly, and I find you're what you say quite often. You, you can distill it into the the, the fundamentals of, of the way to live a happy, sober life, which is great. And I find the younger guys and, and those guys early in sobriety within the group just really find you as a a great inspiration and they they hang on they, they we're all just waiting for your next fantastic words of wisdom you know you, you've got so many great one-liners like the um sobriety gave me everything alcohol promised yeah. was something that we really embraced and it's so true look i can't claim i can't claim, lay claim to uh to any of these little pearls, really, they're they're all just things I've heard at, at various meetings, just things you pick up around the place. But yeah, they're, they're just things that resonate with me, and I just think, yeah, oh, that that's that's perfect. That's so beautiful. That just sums it up. That is great. They're just little things that you can just remember. Um, there's that other one I was just sent you a little while earlier, and it was talking about how um, what was it? It was like um, addiction is is giving up everything for one thing. And recovery is giving up one thing for everything because um, frequently the, the end point of addiction is people lose a lot. They lose lives and careers and 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 marriages yep. and relationships everything. and everything. It, 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 it is just total annihilation for this one thing, you know, this, this one substance or whatever. You know, recovery is all you do is just quit that one little pesky little thing that's getting in the way of everything else in your life. Yeah. I was going to ask you the question, that, do you have any advice for someone starting down the path of sobriety? But I think you've probably already given some fantastic advice there, just even in that last quote. But do you have any, anything else, any advice for someone that's just you know, the, the equivalent to Roger just starting in a rehab or whatever, thinking, uh, maybe I don't fit in here or... or the doors close behind me, and it, it's not a not a great feeling. But yeah. what 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 sort of inspiration could you give there? I think that's the most important thing is to um, to stick with it. Um, you know, give it a red hot go. Um, throw yourself into the whole process with um, with some enthusiasm and some commitment, and you know the changes. The, the changes will happen if you sort of just dip your toe in the water and have a bit of a feel and. You sort of one foot in and one foot out. It can be very difficult. It can be a long, long process before you really get traction and 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 see the results that that are there to be made. So they're probably the main things. And 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 just yeah, be engaged. There are lots of groups out there. There's there's birds. There's lots of AA groups. There are there's lots of support out there. They're not all the same. You know, some some meetings you like, some you won't. Some people you like, some you won't. You know, find the ones that work for you, and you can be it can be a bit of a smorgasbord. Find the things that work and hold hold close to them, hold them dearly. And um, you know, the things that aren't really working for you just yet, 
just put them to the side. They might be useful later on, but there's room in here for everyone. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. There is. There's, there's not an exclusive much. club. It's a, it's it's a little bit of a little bit of a high barrier to uh, to membership, but we're not really that exclusive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But once you get once you get in the club, you know it's a it's a, the the way of life that the club brings. It's the best kept secret in the world, really. So it's fantastic. It's a great way of living. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. It's um, you know peace of mind, and you, you develop some you know, self-respect again that you might not have had for a, for a long time. You, you probably start to like yourself a bit more. Even through all the denial stage where you, you keep telling yourself that everything's okay, you're probably in a state of mind where you know it's not really. Yeah. And, and you just develop that, you know, that, that self-respect and that uh, learn to love yourself again, which is the important yeah, thing. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's, that's great. And we're all worthwhile, mate, all of us, you know, no matter where we've been, what we've done, However, we've screwed up before. Yeah, no, that's 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 great advice, Rog, and uh, great great insights there. And thanks very much for for all that. That's just you know you you say down to earth, and you've also got a great sense of humour to boot. So, <laughs> and that's really important. Oh, look, so yeah, and and you know, I, I think you're the new um you're the new Kerry O'Brien or the new uh, <laughs> the new bloody uh, Parkinson or something, mate. You well, yeah. I, I'm. It's you're like, a great interviewer. It's like sobriety. It's going to get. Uh, better and more enjoyable over time. <laughs> one, a day at a time, one day at a time. That's mate. it, mate. Yeah. That's it. No. Yeah, well, so thanks very much, Rog, and hope to see you very soon at the at the next Aussie Birds meeting at least and, and hopefully when yeah, the whole yeah. COVID thing sorts itself out, we'll be able to have a, a face-to-face meeting and that would be A proper awesome. face-to-face, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it'll be good. We'll look forward to it, mate. Yeah, all right. Thanks, yeah. mate. And look, thank you very much for uh, for this opportunity. It's uh, it's such a valuable, important you know thing that you've undertaken here. I, I, I take my hat off to you, mate. This is um, this is going to make make some real and lasting change around the place. I think. Oh, thanks, mate. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Roger. I certainly did. And every time I speak to him, I get another fantastic insight into how sobriety is just a fantastic way to live life. If you'd like more information on the HIMS network in the US, it's himsprogram.com. In Australia, it's ozhims.org.au. And in New Zealand, it's nzhims.org.nz. If you're interested in looking at the Birds of a Feather support group website, the web address is B-O-A-F dot org. And if you have any feedback regarding this podcast, I'd really enjoy hearing that. And my email is andrew at flyingstraight.com.au. And I look forward to sharing another story with you soon.